0: This morning we shall turn to the book of Matthew, and I will read verse 30. Matthew, pardon, chapter 14 and verse 30. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. We're all familiar with this very wonderful story of the night on the lake. The day before Jesus had fed the five thousand. The people and the disciples wanted to acclaim him king. This was at the peak of his popularity. They didn't yet understand the nature of our Lord's kingdom, not even the disciples. They still thought that he would crown him Become, he would permit himself to be crowned as king and they'd be delivered from the oppression of the Romans. But Jesus that night with a word, a note or a, a command of authority told the dis- people to disperse and told the disciples to take the boat and go across to Capernaum. While he went up into the mountainside to pray, at every great crisis in his ministry you notice the Savior went aside to pray. They didn't understand and that night on the little lake, on the lake, the hearts of the disciples were filled with doubts and questionings and evil forebodings and criticisms. Why didn't he permit us to proclaim him king? Is he the Lord after all? Is he the Messiah after all? But up there on the mount, the Savior was engaged in prayer. <clears throat> Not for one moment <clears throat> did he forget his loved disciples. He wanted to teach them a great lesson. And they went across. Do you remember that night in the third watch, early in the morning, that sudden storm sprang up, and a little boat was tossed on the sea, and the waves became high, and the disciples were afraid, death talked to them in those angry billows. And the harder they pulled, the worse it seemed, and nothing but tragedy and death seemed to await them. And you remember how our Savior walked out to that little boat. And when the disciples saw this being, they thought it was a spirit at first. And then as he passed by, they seemed to recognize him. And Jesus called out to them, it is I. Be not afraid. Isn't that beautiful? Wherever Jesus goes, friends, there he brings peace, doesn't he? Be not afraid. And you remember when they recognized the master there that night? That night of terrible fear. When they recognized him? You remember how Peter called out, Lord. If it be thou, bid that I should come on the water unto thee. And Jesus said, Come, come, Peter. And he stepped out and he walked successfully for a time. But then he took his eyes off of his master. Pride at his accomplishment took hold of him. The billows talked of death again to him because he'd lost sight of his master. And he began to sink. Beginning to sink, he cried, Lord, save me. I want to take that expression this morning, beginning to sink. I want to use it figuratively this morning. Peter, beginning to sink, (coughs) cried, Lord, save me. There are sights that fill us with sorrow of a man or a woman or a youth who has sunken. The murderer, the profligate, the drug addict, the adulterer, the prostitute. We look with pity and with horror at the man or the woman or the youth who has sunken in sin. There's another sight that should concern us, should fill our hearts with great sorrow, perhaps greater sorrows, the man or the woman or the youth who is beginning to sink. No beginnings, no endings. It's the first cigarette, my dear friend, that makes the smoker, not the last one. It's the first drink that makes the drunkard, not the last one. It's the first step in that pathway of licentiousness and impurity that robs us of our virtue and weakens our will and moral power, not the last. I'm talking this morning about beginnings. Beginnings are momentous. I think we need to have a study on beginnings. Think of the apostasies that take place in our church every year. I was in one conference once where our apostasies in the church exceeded our baptisms and our accessions. We're losing thousands every year out the back door of the church. It should fill our hearts with great concern. If we were to save and to hold every youth that's born into this church or read in our Sabbath schools and church schools and colleges, if we were to save them all, friends, that were read in Seventh-day Adventist homes, we'd have more accessions to our church than through all our evangelistic efforts combined, we're told. I was in one big city, in the city of Chicago, holding a series of meetings. And for three months our churches were organized into prayer groups and, and friendship teams for visiting the backslidden and the former Adventists. And do you know, friends, they had a list of 1137, I think it was, names of former Seventh Day Adventists that they discovered in, our, in that city. They were handed in by church members, and a great search was made from over a thousand former Seventh-day Adventists. I'm quite sure that very few, if any, of those dear people, when they were baptized into this church, into the faith of Jesus Christ, ever, ever had it planned in their minds that someday they'd go away from God and the truth and the church. They didn't plan it that way, but somewhere, sometime, somehow, someday, some night, some moment in their religious experience, in their church relationship, they began to sink. You know, that night on the sea, Peter, it says, began to sink. sink. Listen to this. One step in the wrong direction prepares the way for another. Is that true? We're talking about beginnings this morning, that first step away from God, from truth, from church fellowship, from goodness, from right. One step in the wrong direction prepares the way for another. The least deviation from right and principle will lead to separation from God and may end in apostasy. I'm sure we've had a wonderful blessing here at this camp. meeting. One sister said yesterday that her battery was recharged. (laughs) But all my dear sister and brethren and sisters, that recharging here at this camp meeting will not suffice for next month, for the coming year. That battery must be recharged every day. Listen, the least deviation from right and principle, the least deviation from right and principle Will lead to separation from God. Doesn't say it is separation, will lead to it. You see, friends, God not only condemns sin, but He condemns that which leads to it. He condemns a wrong trend. Is there anyone here conscious of a wrong trend in His life? Will lead to separation from God and may end in apostasy. What we do once, we more readily and naturally do again. How true that is. What we do once, we more readily and naturally do again. We form habit. We're creatures of habit. And to go forward in a certain path, be it right or wrong, is more easy than to start. Whatever a man becomes accustomed to, its influence, good or evil, he finds it difficult to abandon. That's taken from, uh, from volume 4, 5, 7, 8. A wonderful statement. Now, let's get back to Peter. Peter began to sink that night, as far as I can see, very largely because of his temperament. Peter was an impulsive fellow, as we all know, most wonderful character, the great man of God that he became. But he had to learn some lessons, and Jesus designed to teach him these lessons. All the training of the twelve. How patiently, how wonderfully Jesus taught those disciples. Peter had a lot of self-confidence. He was impetuous, he was rash, he was always doing the unexpected, he was impulsive, and yet in a sense that was the glory of his character, wasn't it? I think impulsive people are very interesting people. If the church didn't have some good impulsive people always uh, thinking of something and acting on the impulse to do a good thing, to a noble thing, or helping somebody, you know the church suffers from a lot of drab. People who never move for anything, never do a thing, just sit there quietly. I think we need the Peters around, don't you, that will get things done. Get some great impulse to do the right, to do a good thing, to be right, to be good, to be true, to overcome. Get that impulse that God puts into your heart to be an overcomer. This morning, as our dear brother Dow spoke in the workers' prayer meeting here, I don't know, I just felt an impulse in my heart again to do the right, to be the man that God wants me to be. Thank God for noble impulses. Some of the greatest things that have happened, some of the greatest movements of, of for God on this earth have been created and accomplished through a noble impulse. Don't despise it. But my brother, sister, there's danger here. Peter needed to be saved from himself as well as from his sins. And we need to be saved from ourselves as well as from our sins. That which is attractive in us. That which may, that little touch of genius. That, that uh, which may be charming within us to some people. That strong personality. Peter had a strong personality, I believe. But he needed to be saved from himself. Peter had a lot of self-confidence. and because of his self-confidence it led him into trouble many and many a time. and there may be people here like that listen to what i read the other day peter needed to realize his constant dependence upon divine power he could do it he could go it alone so often he it seemed that that was his very nature it was charming it was wonderful we have charming people among us we have gifted people We have wonderful people with wonderful talents, but my dear brothers and sisters, you need to be saved from yourself. Don't trust to your gifts. Don't trust to your powers. You need a sense of self-dependence or dependence constantly upon him. Listen. Those who fail to realize their constant dependence upon God will be overcome by temptation. That was Jacob's trouble. Self-confidence. But Sister White says, at Jabbok, God broke up Jacob's self-confidence forever. And some of us need our self-confidence broken up. Satan is planning to take advantage of our hereditary and cultivated traits of character. Did you hear that? Satan is planning. He watches your life. He's planning to take advantage of our hereditary and our cultivated traits of character, and to blind our eyes to our own necessities and defects. Satan is planning to blind your eye, my friend, as you go back from camp meeting, all full of and a glow in your heart. He's planning, beware my friends, of next week and the week to come. Listen, he's planning to take advantage of our own necessities and defects only through recognizing our weakness and looking steadfastly unto Jesus can we walk successfully had he learned the lesson that Jesus sought to teach him in that experience on the sea he would not have failed when the great uh, in that when the great test came upon him. You know that night when Jesus was betrayed, when Peter denied so bitterly and terribly his Lord? Say, friend, you never intend to deny your Lord. You never intend to get away from him, And beware. Satan's planning to take advantage of your cultivated and your inherited tendencies. Had Peter learned that lesson of completely that night of self-distrust, he wouldn't have failed in the greater test that will come in a few days. Friends, are we learning those lessons of complete self-distrust? This is not a, a go-it-alone-and-do-it-yourself plan, business friends. It's God is for the helpless. Christ is for the helpless. Always. The publican felt no need At least the Pharisee felt no need, full of self-assurance and self-confidence and self-pride. He can do it. I'm not like the others. I'm better than those. I can go it alone. But the poor publican cried, God be merciful to me, the sinner. Oh yes, and I have another statement. That was taken from Desire of Ages 3.8.2. Listen, every sin cherished weakens the character and strengthens habit. Every sin cherished weakens the character. And friends, I tell you, the characters we must find and develop under God's gracious Holy Spirit and ministry of holiness and righteousness, we're not going to develop that at the close of probation, friends. we develop it now weakens the character and strengthens habit and physical, mental and moral depravity is the result. You may repent of the wrong you've done and set your feet in right paths but the mold of your mind and your familiarity familiarity with evil will make it, it difficult for you to distinguish between right and wrong. Sin has its mark. It leaves its effects upon us while we're forgiven and we can find mercy. But the longer we indulge in sin, the weaker our characters have become friends and the weaker our resistance to temptation when it comes to us again. Listen through the wrong habits formed, Satan will assail you again and again. I've heard people say, I'm glad I didn't come into the truth until I was older. And you hear them recite about the, the, the dissipation, the the lives of sin and what they did when they were young. I'm mighty thankful, my friends, that the Lord brought me into an Adventist, to a faith to the home under the influence of a godly mother and father. I dread to think what I might have been had it not been for the grace of God in my earlier lives, my earlier life that spoke to me and lifted me and helped me. I'm not perfect. I have many weaknesses. I have many weaknesses of disposition and character to overcome. But I'm pressing on, friends, and these things speak to my heart. Friends, thank young people today. Thank God if you've been brought into an Adventist home. You can go while you're young. I say this is a study of beginnings. And mothers and fathers, begin with your little children, with your infants. Begin there. What you do in the first few years of your child's life, You'll do more than half during those first few years than you'll ever do in establishing the character and the habits and the lives of those young people. Through the wrong habits formed, Satan will assail you again and again. C O L two eight one. What wonderful statements. All right. Peter began to sink because of his temperament. Peter began to sink in familiar waters, didn't he? He was a fisherman, he knew every inch of that sea. He'd been over it many times. But even in familiar waters Peter began to sink. Ah, it's a sad thing when a youth or a man or a woman gets away from home, away from the church, away from mom and dad, away from loved ones and friends, and from those who know and those who love and those who care, maybe to some great city. Oh, I'll never forget over in Germany when I was hold- holding meetings that our youth Uh, servicemen's, American servicemen's congress or retreat and a soldier boy came to me at the very last meeting and he said sir is it too late for me I said no my boy what do you mean he said I didn't want to come to these meetings I've drifted away from God I've done everything that's wrong in these great cities here in Germany I've just sinned and I've gone wrong but I've got a godly mother back in America and she prayed that I'd come to this retreat and I only came for her sake and when I heard you preaching the first night there, I sat back in the back of that hall and I said, that fellow from Washington's not going to get me. But every night he said, I've got more miserable. I've seen the new light on my buddies' faces. I've heard their songs and prayers. And tonight I saw, I saw the light on their faces and I heard their testimonies. I felt utterly miserable. Is it too late for me, sir? I said, come into my room, we're staying in a hostel there, come into my room and that boy went in with me and he sat down put his head on the table there and he cried out, he blurted out, I'm loaded with sin. I said, my dear boy, you're the very one God is looking for and I offered him my Saviour. I gave him those beautiful promises. We kneeled together that night and I saw those hot tears falling on that red carpet Ah, my friend, it's wonderful to see a sinner returning to God. But oh, what a battle that boy's going to have. What a battle he's going to have in the days and months to come. Through the wrong habits formed and the weaknesses developed in his nature and his character, he's going to be assailed and assailed again and again and again. And he needs so much more of the grace and the power and the strength of God. And I tell you, there are men and women right here today who know that's true. Isn't that right, friends? You know it's true. What about that smoker? He resolves to give up again and again and again and again. Through the habit formed and the cravings developed, Satan is going to assail that soul time and time again. Oh, my dear young people, I'm talking to you this morning about the beginnings. It's the first smoke, it's the first puff at that filthy weed that makes the smoker, not the last one. And the last one, my friends, your habits have been formed so dreadfully and so powerfully, Only a mighty act of God and your weakened will united with him can bring victory. Same with the drug addict, same with the alcoholic. Yes, I think of another thought here, uh, the thought I mentioned just now. It's possible to begin to sink though in familiar waters. Yes young people it's sad to get away from home and begin to sink but it's possible right here in the church it's possible right here among loved ones. It's possible right there in your own home to begin to sink and your parents perhaps not know anything about it. What's going on in your life? Because beginnings are silent. Beginnings are often so often unnoticed. It starts in the thought. When a man begins to get away from this truth, he begins to doubt. He begins to drift into careless habits. All oh, the beginning we begin to get careless about Sabbath observance. And after a few years, we find ourselves doing things on Sabbath that ten years ago or five years ago we wouldn't have dreamed of doing. Little by little, little by little, imperceptibly almost, we've we've drifted away from God and from from the, holy, the, the, the sacredness of the Holy Sabbath. My friends, we need a great reform today. The Sabbath is going to be the great test of discipleship. Have we become careless about the edges of the Sabbath? Do we do things on Friday nights and just neglect and care and forget all about the sacredness of the Sabbath? And the only part about the Sabbath to a lot of our people is that they happen to go to church on Sabbath, but otherwise we can do anything. Anything goes and Sabbath keeping becomes little better than ordinary Sunday keeping in the Sunday churches today. My brethren and sisters are we watching? Ten years of worldly living in a home and we'll we'll be waken up to the fact how dreadfully far we've gotten away from God, little by little. You know, God says to uh, to His church over here in Hosea uh, I was only reading this this morning too, that I wanted to give a study sometime from the book of Hosea, but I didn't get the chance this time. You know, in chapter 7 and verse 9, I think it is, God speaking of the children of Israel who drifted away from him, they'd gotten away from God, but they still thought they were God's people. And it's possible, my friends, to get away from God, to be worldly, to be careless, to be far away from him and not know it. We think we're all right. There's the deceptive power of sin. Listen, verse 9. Strangers have devoured his strength, and he knoweth it not. Yea, grey hairs are here and there upon him, yet he knoweth it not. We don't go grey overnight, usually. It's a quiet, gradual process, isn't it? I remember about 15 years ago, when the first grey streaks came in my hair. It was a shock to me. I was almost tempted to cover them up with some coloring. (laughs) Gray hairs are here and there upon him, but I recognize, friends, what age was catching up with me. Gray hairs are here and there upon him, and he knoweth it not, he still thinks he's young and vigorous and strong. Strangers have devoured his strength, and he knoweth it not, my people are weak when they should be strong. They're sick when they should be well. They're they aged and decrepit when they should be young and vigorous and strong for me. What a dreadful thing. My brother and sister, is there somebody here who has the marks of decay spiritually in his life and his heart and you don't know it? God open our eyes this morning. It comes about gradually, friend all oh, the deterioration of the spiritual life of some of our dear people, of our own hearts. A few years, and we've gotten so far away that we finally give up our church membership. We never intend to It's gradual. It's silent so often. I tell you, friends, a Christian experience is maintained only through conflict. You know that wonderful scripture over here in Hebrews verse chapter 2, And verse 1, another warning from God about the beginnings. Listen. Chapter 2 and verse 1. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Say, friends, you're going to be tempted to let them slip. The things you've heard here at this camp meeting, the pressure of this world, the pressure of work, the pressure of of your own evil nature, will tempt you to let things slip or drift away from them, as one translation says, drift away from them. I want to tell you, friends, that for one person who deliberately walks away from God, a hundred people drift. Or as the next verse here says in verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect? So great salvation. I'm afraid of that word neglect. You neglect a garden and what happens? The weeds grow. Let the doctor and the nurse neglect the ordinary precautions against germ and disease. You know what happens. You neglect your soul, my friends, as you go back from camp meeting. There'll be no escape. God says here, how shall we escape? There is no escape. To the neglected soul. And so often we ministers preach to hundreds and hundreds of people who've been neglecting their soul's salvation. I'm afraid of that word neglect. Careless neglect. Drifting away from the things. A religious experience, my friends, is maintained only through conflict. Through severe discipline of self through earnest prayer. We don't glide into the kingdom, do we? Have you found that, friends? No, no. Are we prepared to battle for Jesus Christ? He's contesting every inch of the ground, my friends. But it's a glorious battle because we are with God, we're with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and they that be with us are far more than they that be against us. But we wrestle, we're told, not against flesh and blood, but against wicked spirits, in high places. Brethren and sisters, this camp meeting, we've only declared war again, haven't we? We've declared war, anew, on the enemy of our souls, and with Jesus Christ, and our eyes continually on him, we're going forward to victory. Peter began to sink that night on a familiar pathway. Yes, Peter began to sink on a permitted pathway. Jesus said, come Peter come. It wasn't a wrong thing for Peter to do because the Lord told him to come. Ah my friends, it's possible to begin to sink on a permitted pathway even for a minister in the sacred pulpit, called of God, in the line of service that God has called him to it's possible for a minister to begin to sink because beginnings are so often silent and unnoticed begins in the mind, in the thoughts. We harbour doubt. We harbour distrust. We harbour some sin. Peter began to sink on a permitted pathway. Peter began to sink when he began to fear. When he took his eyes off of his Saviour. Then he was conscious of his surroundings. And the waves stood up there. I can almost picture confident Peter that night when he got out there thinking, oh, isn't this wonderful, look what I'm doing. I could almost hear him calling out in the darkness of that night to the men back in the boat there, hey John, hey, look at me. That's just about what Peter would do. He began to sink the moment self-confidence asserted itself, and he began Then the waves came between you. For a brief moment, Jesus was out of his sight and he began to fear and he went down. And the billows now talked of death. Ah, my brothers and sisters, the moment you become conscious of your troubles and your surroundings and the waves and the billows around you, and the inconsistencies of others and the faults and failings of others and the things that are going wrong and you get secular and materialistic in your outlook and you see things and circumstances instead of keeping your eyes upon Him you're going to begin to sink. You may not have gone very far but you'll begin alright friends. Our safety is in our constant dependence upon our Jesus. Our hands in His every day. looking into his face. Ah, my friends, there'll be things that'll distress you. Things will go wrong in the church. Things will go wrong with the neighborhood. Things will go wrong in your home. And you'll get your eyes upon circumstances and things, just like Peter did. And you'll begin to sink. You may not have gone very far. You'll still hold on to the outward show of religion, but in your heart something's happening. And you're beginning to get away from God. Oh yes, Peter began to sink and as far as we know, the other disciples didn't know anything about it. They couldn't tell. You can begin to sink and the one next door to you, the one sitting right next to you, there may be somebody, I don't know, there may be somebody right in this meeting this morning or on this campground beginning to sink. And the one in his own tent or cabin or room or right beside you in in the chapel here in this auditorium may not know anything about it. Only God sees it. Beginnings are silent. Beginnings are unnoticed. Oh yes. But you know friends I wonder if I could in a few brief moments. I've had a long experience in working with our youth and with our churches. I wondered if I could just uh, dip for, for say three illustrations, I don't have a watch on this morning uh, friends I want to tell you as I look back over my long experience I can think of young people who are wonderfully consecrated beautiful youth who today are gone where did it start?
1: I've had them open
0: their hearts to me I remember visiting a church once and preaching I'd been in that church a number of times I knew many of the youth and you're like shepherds we are we look around for the sheep don't we and I was looking around for certain ones that I knew there and there was a young lady by the name of Jean that we knew she'd been to college, Mrs. Minchin and I knew a very well lovely girl, beautiful girl she wasn't there her dad was the elder of the church sitting behind me on the platform and after the meeting I said "Brother, brother Bell where is Jean? Oh brother Minchin don't you know she's gone she's left us She's left the church. Oh, I said, never. How could that be? She said, He said, Brother Minchin, do you think you could come to our home uh, today, tonight and, and see us? Jean's at home. She thinks such a lot of you and Mrs. Minchin. I cancelled my room in the hotel that night and I went out to their home. Lovely home. They were so kind, so wonderful to me. There was Jean... But I found it so hard. It's hard sometimes to open up on a conversation like this. They entertained me so beautifully, so warmly. Next morning at breakfast table, just after after we'd eaten a bit, mother and father excused themselves and went out into the garden. I knew why they did it, and I was alone with Jean. I said, Jean, I missed you at church yesterday. Has anything happened? And she put her head down. She didn't want to talk. I said, Jean, are you discouraged? And do you know what she told me? She told me, she said, it's no use, Pastor. It's too late for me now. It's no use. I said, why? Why is that? And she confided to me that she was engaged to be married to a young man who was not only not an Adventist, but not a Christian. And she was being married. And he's a fine fellow, but he's not a Christian. And we're being married in six weeks time. Oh, my girl. I said, how, Jean, how can you do it? You know God has condemned it. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. We love you, Jean. You've such a lovely girl in our school and our college there. I said, Jean, have we failed you? Has Brother Minchin failed you in any way? Will you forgive me? I want to be in the kingdom with you, Jean. She says, it's no use, Elder, it's too late now, it's too late. I said, Jean, could you tell me, where did this commence? Why, when you were at school, at college down there, you were such a bright, earnest Christian girl. I couldn't, I can't believe it. I know how heavy your parents' hearts are. She said, well, I don't know that I can. I said, Jean, can you tell me, when did this association first start? Well, she said, maybe I could tell you. She said, you know, one Sabbath, a lady in the church said to me, Jean, there's a show on down in town tonight. It's quite a good show. Wouldn't you come with me tonight? I said, you know, I don't go to shows. I've never been brought up to go to shows in town like that. She said, but look, this is quite a, quite a good it's all right for Adventists to see. And she pleaded with me. And for quite a time I had a struggle. But she said finally I said to myself, Well, I don't see why I can't go. I'll go. Maybe Dad and Mother might know anything mightn't know anything about it. I'll go just this once anyway. Just this once. Just this once. The enemy whispers. I went. I enjoyed it. The following week I went alone, then I began to go twice a week. Then I met some young people, some people down there, friends, I got friendly with a family. And in that family I met this young man, and we're engaged to be married, and now I'm marrying him in six weeks. One step in the wrong direction prepares the way for another. The least deviation from right and principle will lead to separation from God and may end in apostasy. Ah, she never intended. But the devil led her to take that first step against what she knew was right. And I tell you, my friends, there's far more of this going on in the church than we realize Come out from the world and be separate, God says. Be separate. You say, well, she was weak. She was weak. And we're weak too, friends, when we go playing on the devil's territory. Who of us is a match for the devil? And little by little, little by little, almost imperceptibly... She began to drift away from right, from God, from his will. all oh, the will of God, my friends. That should be the determining factor, not the way I feel or the way I think. And today, my friends, she's gone. We've lost her. She has a worldly home, away from God and the truth and everything, and broken-hearted parents and a grieved God we've lost her I went to another church my old home church out in Australia where I was a boy went to church as a boy I hadn't been there for 18 years it seems strange that I hadn't been back all that time and you know in the church that night it was crowded a lot of people I recognized hadn't seen for so long my old friends school friends and others And after the service was over, a fellow came down the aisle with his wife, two little children clutching at her skirt, and a little baby in her arms. And they came down, he came up to me, and I put out my hand to shake his hand, and he said, don't you remember me? And I looked at him, I said, no, I don't think I do. Why, he said, I am Max, so and so, my Max, don't you remember me? We used to go to school together. And I gripped his hand, I said, Max, is that you? Wonderful to see you again. But he wasn't smiling. He had a look of trouble on his troubled look on his face. I said, Max, what's the trouble? He said, Don't you know I've quit? Don't you know I've left the church? Oh I say, Never, Max. Why, what a wonderful family you come from your dear old dad and mother and all your family, why we used to go to college together, Max, and you loved the Lord in those days. What's happened? Oh, he said, he pulled out of his pocket a packet of cigarettes, this has been the curse of my life. I said, Max, what are we going to do about it? He said, I've tried a thousand times and what's the use? My will is so weakened I've no power to resist it anymore. He said, "I, when Eva told me that you were coming back here to preach, I said, I'm going along too tonight to listen to my old mate preaching. And he said, we sat in the back row there, and I watched you preaching, and I heard all you said, and I said in my heart what I've missed, what I could have been doing, the life I could have been living too, but here I am now, a weakling, he was saturated with tobacco. And there was Eva crying. She said, Eva's, he said, Eva's faithful. She takes the little ones to the church. But I don't go anymore. And there, my friends, that dear girl wept. She was tied up now to a weakling. When she should have been linked up with a man of God, the prince of the house, The leader in things that are right and good and true. But she was now tied up to a weakling. His weakened will destroyed almost. Don't tamper with your will, young people. He who tampers with his will at last destroys it. He who makes no decision makes the wrong decision. Did you know that? There may be people here in this meeting this morning like that over some habit, some association, some friendship something that the Spirit of God has spoken to you about for years and years and we keep on going like that still on the fence tampering with our wills. Well, the dower spoke very earnestly other night not about some things the light that God has shed on our pathway but we still go along We make no decision. He who makes the no decision makes the wrong decision. He who tampers with his will will at last destroy it. I said, Max, come and let us pray. I called the ministers. He said, what's the use? I've tried a thousand times. If ever I feel my need of knowing the power of God, it's when I'm praying with a poor fellow like that. And they're all around us, drug addicts, licentious people, smokers, drunkards, and all, the, all others, and other, not only those dreadful sins, but others who have drifted away from God through seemingly less objectionable things. I cried to God for that poor boy, but I don't know how it is with him today, friends. Now I'm going to close, but with one more story, one more thought. I went to a church to hold a series of meetings, and on the Thursday Thursday night there were two young ladies sitting over on my left, and one of them was weeping. She had her head down. She seemed to be weeping nearly all the time. And after the meeting was over, I hurried down to the side where they were, and I went up to her and I said, is there anything I can do for you? and we sat down and talked, and I heard this story. The girl who was weeping was at college, one of our colleges, and she was engaged to be married to a young minister. He had just graduated and gone out into the work. He was going out into the work for twelve months, and then they were to be married. But during that vacation, She went to work down in the big city in a well-to-do home where they kept boarders in order to earn a living, learn something for her schooling next year. In that same home there was a foreigner, a fellow who didn't speak English very well, and after a time, he asked this young lady if she would consent to help him with his English lessons. And very unwisely she consented. He was a polished fellow, handsome, suave, and physically attractive. After a little while, he began little attention. Then he asked her for a date. She said, "Why, I'm engaged to be married." She said, "I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything like that." He said, "Well, what does that matter? I'm a married man." He said, "There's no harm. Just having a good time while we're here." And that dear girl, he was subtle. He was suave. He was polished rascal. Beware, girls, beware. You'll find them sometimes in the church as well as out of it. And do you know, that girl began to permit liberties that belonged to only one woman in all this world, and that was his own wife. And she began to sink. She began to stay away from prayer meetings. Then she began to stay away from Sabbath school. This is the way it usually goes. Apostasy often starts that way. First the prayer meetings, then the Sabbath school, and they'll hold on to a form of it in the church service. But finally she gave up going to church. And then Brother Minchin came along to that city to hold meetings. Her girlfriend, who knew her, missed her at the meetings, and so she called her one day. She said, Joan, we're having meetings for the youth in the city. Elder Minchin is here holding meetings and I've missed you. We'd just love to have you coming along. come along. We're having a lovely time. Jones said, I'm not going to those meetings. I know what kind of meetings they are.
1: <laughs> you see? On the Thursday night, her girlfriend was so burdened for her
0: that she took the streetcar I went right round to the other side of the town, to that large, well to do home, to get Joan. She was burdened for. Her. She knocked at the door. And Joan came to the door. She said, Joan, my dear, I've come all the way round the city tonight to ask you if you'd come with me to the
1: meeting tonight. Oh, Joan, won't you come just even this once with me, please? I would to God we had thousands of young people who were burdened for their friends like that, don't you?
0: Love. And Joan looked at her as she said, seeing you've come all the way for me, I'll go with you just this once, I won't promise any more. They came that night, and that night they sat in that seat over on the left and the Holy Spirit broke into that poor girl's heart brought condemnation and conviction of sin and she wept. I said, my dear girl, what are you going to do about it? She said, the trouble is, Elder, I love him. I said, my dear girl, you don't love him at all. That's not love. That's passion. That's fascination. That's infatuation. You're under the spell of an unholy infatuation. This is not the love that God ever puts into your heart, my friends. This is the devil's counterfeit. You're permitting liberties that belong to only one woman in this world, and that's his wife. My dear girl, you're on the edge of a precipice. And if you don't cry to God to save you and escape for your life, You'll go over that precipice and you'll bring shame and dishonor to yourself, to your honored parents, to your church and to your God. I'll never forget it. that dear girl fell on her knees right there by that chair and she cried out, Oh God, save me. I said, My dear girl, I feel impressed to tell you you must leave that place tonight. Escape for your life. She said, I couldn't tell her. She said, I'd have to at least give two weeks' notice. I said, my girl, I feel impressed to tell you to escape for your life, if not tonight, tomorrow morning. Get away for your life, look not behind you. Better to lose two weeks' pay, or a month's pay, or a year's pay, than to lose your soul.
1: How oftentimes we put material things before the will of God. Some of us may be guilty of that. And she went, and what a prayer we had in our hearts that night. What a prayer
0: I had in my heart through the night as I thought of her. And do you know, next night, next night I was standing down here before the meeting started, and I saw that somebody come in that back, that door, and she walked steadily down the aisle. Soon I recognized it was this same girl, Joan. And she came down with a steady step, and soon I saw The light of God in her face. I saw a smile. I saw a light coming
1: from her eyes. A different girl. And she came down there and gripped my hand. Oh, Elder, she said, Thank God I have the victory. I left that place today. I've escaped from her life. The spell has been broken. And tonight, she said, I
0: can't understand how I was caught by that. I can't understand how I was so infatuated. She said, the spell has been broken, thank God.
1: Oh, isn't it wonderful what God can do? And that dear girl left that place, she turned back to God with all her heart and married that fine young man later on. I don't know whether she ever told him about it or not. I never did. But friends, I was so happy, so gloriously happy to see that dear one escape and found deliverance but we nearly lost her didn't we friends? we nearly lost her you're not a match for the devil friends you're not a match for the devil and so I've opened my heart this morning about beginnings beginnings and now the last thought when Peter began to sink his savior was not very far away Isn't that lovely? Dear one this morning, my dear young friends, trembling, anxious, troubled, just remember that when Peter began to sink, his precious Savior was not very far away. And when he heard that cry, Lord, save me, I perish,
0: immediately those loving arms were
1: outstretched Stretched
0: to save.
1: He's here this morning. He's right here in this auditorium. And to any soul who finds himself beginning, beginning, maybe just some little thing, some method of using your time, some habit of reading or association, TV problem, health reform, or anything, cry in your heart this morning. I'm not going to ask for any public decision, but I'm going to have a little silent prayer. Will you lift your heart up to him? Will you look into his face? He's beside you on the sea, the troubled waters. Look into his face right now and say,
0: Lord, save me. And immediately
1: those loving arms will be outstretched and outstretched to save. Shall we pray silently? Blessed Lord, Jesus, our wonderful Savior. There may be some in this auditorium this morning who know that their own heart's condition has been described. You heard the cry just now, Lord, save me. Put thine arms around them now and tell them that thou dost love them and have something better for them. Thou didst teach Peter many precious lessons. The greatest lesson he had was a lesson of dependence constantly, daily, hourly, momentarily, Upon thy grace and thy power Teach us that lesson this morning Send us away Knowing that our sins are forgiven That the the wicked past is behind us We go forward to a new life Walking with Jesus In his precious name Amen Thank you friends Good morning A wonderful day.